I'm just going to read theologian Derek Hybert. He says, We are engaging in a deeply meaningful theology centered around the third day and God's redemptive work. The third day design pattern is a reminder. God has initiated the process of resurrecting people to new life and bringing them into covenant partnership. And so today I want to talk about, like, as disciples, what does that partnership look like? Because it's just this radical that God, he's partnering with us, right? And, and again, Jesus using this same allegory in John 12, verse 24, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He's talking about himself, isn't he? The fruitfulness of the third day, the new creation. Right? He is the one. He is the seed that came up. And all life now is in him. All of the new creation life comes from his seed. Without him dying, without the seed that was Christ going into the earth, right, and being raised on the third day, None of us would have our being, right? In him we move and have our being, right? So isn't that crazy? And I love the way that it says in, this is the ESV, it says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. The beauty of, the, of Scripture is that that was the whole intention of creation, right? That the Trinity would extend the beautiful unity that they had for eternity past would be extended into a family, right, on the earth. That was God's plan. That's why he made humanity in his image, was that he would extend that eternal love relationship that he'd been experiencing in the Trinity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, constantly, continually pouring themselves out in love to each other. He's like, how can we express this love? Let's, let's create humanity in our image. Let's share that love let's extend that love right and in the new creation who's christ he's the firstborn among many right so again we're in we've been redeemed like the story in christ the story's back on track right to abide to live with him in unity right and to take this project somewhere with the lord right to advance the kingdom that's what the disciples do the people of God, like we look to our rabbi, right, and believe that we can do the things that he did. But that's the nature of being a disciple. You believe that you can do what your rabbi does. So when Peter hops out of the boat, it's because he's seen his rabbi walking on water. If his rabbi can walk on water, that means he should be able to, right? So I love that, that, he, that all of all of the fruitfulness of this room right now comes from that single seed that went into the ground, right? So, I want to preface this, this idea of like our part of creating optimal conditions for growth and being disciples with this point that comes out of 1 Corinthians 3, 9. And once again, it's a... Uh, a horticultural allegory. I planted, Paul says, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. 
So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So you can see this covenant partnership. We're his fellow workers. But primarily, we need to get, the first thing is always first, right? We're sons and daughters. We've been joined to Christ. We've been united to him. And he's the source of all of our fruitfulness. And so in this covenant partnership, again, we're going to look at Genesis and the commission that he gives to humanity. This is before the fall, so we can learn from this. He says in Genesis 1, verse 28, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So the human project, it's the first vocation. We're gardeners, right? The original vocation of humanity was to be gardeners, and God gives them this job to do be fruitful and multiply fill subdue and i i find a similarity with that and the great commission from matthew 28 18 to 20 as well when jesus gives the the disciples the great commission he says all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me right the dominion has been restored go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's be united, right, to that beautiful trinity, that beautiful love relate, baptized into them in the name of them, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the disciples have this mission. And what is the commandment that they're to teach people to observe? right? They must be observing it themselves, right? Otherwise, they'd be hypocrites. That's what religious people did, was tell people to observe something that they weren't themselves observing. So the, the commandment that they've been given to teach people to observe is the new commandment for the new covenant. Love one another, right? As I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So the measure of this maturity and this growth that we're seeking to cultivate will always be love. So all that we do, will, that will, that's our goal, right? The goal of our instruction is love. We want to become more loving. So fruit of godly character, so that's internal, and the fruit of the kingdom external through our union. I've been talking to my kids at school about the symbology of the cross as well. It's those two things, right? It's the intersection of our connection with the divine and our connection with each other, right? It's the loving God and the loving others. It's who he is to you will be who he is through you, right? So it's this beautiful way that the Lord set it up. So, let's take our lives and let's start to get into some of these principles that we can apply to our lives in order to 
create that environment. So what is the seed that we were given? That when, when the, the seed of Christ went into the earth and it came up and produced many seeds that live in each one of us, Luke 8 tells us of this parable, and I'm going to read verse 11 and then verse 15, just cut to the end, the, the bit where the soil's good. Right? So in, in verse 11, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. And verse 15, as for that seed in the good soil, they are those that hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. All right, so the, there's, a, there's a blueprint, right, in the seed to be fruitful for God. It's planted in our hearts, but we are the stewards of that, right? And so based on that premise that one waters, one, the seed is sown, someone's watering, but God is going to bring the increase, right? We're going to talk about the water of the word. Jesus the voice of God is described as many rushing waters, right? And, he know, and we know from the parable of the woman at the well that he's put inside us a wellspring of water that will never run dry, right? In worship, actually, I was thinking like the allegory is the word, and I, but I was thinking of the word as like a wardrobe, <laughs> right? Each day when we open the word, we, the wardrobe of the word, and we get to put on Christ through the word and we need to be proactive in this because if we're waiting for our day to kind of hit us right we're not going to be ready to respond with the spirit if we haven't been engaged in the spirit you know and so we have this responsibility to cultivate our garden right to water it we, we all live in a climate where you literally have to water your garden if you don't water your garden, it dies pretty well. So, I mean, when those sprinklers go on, you know, I want you from now on to be reminded, oh, have I been watering my life? You know, have I been watering my life with the word? Because every day you should be watering, shouldn't you? Just bringing that water of life that's the word of God so that you can thrive and prosper. I've actually been really systematic in my garden. There's certain plants that won't grow because there's too many other plants absorbing all the water, right? So I have those, those ones in um, upside-down bin lids in big pots. So when the bin lid collects all the extra water and they thrive at the foot of a tree that's roots drink everything, and you can't see the pot anymore because there's so much growth coming out of it. Right, so it looks like my gardens, but it's just a bit of skill. So we'll do Q&A on tropical gardening <laughs> after, right, for those of you who are interested. Um, so what does Jesus say? He says that the, his word, to abide in Jesus, is obeying his word, right? In John 8, verse 31, he says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So that abiding is, is obeying. Matthew seven twenty four. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
We often talk about like meditating on the scriptures and chewing on them. Uh, has anyone ever heard the allegory of a cow with its three stomachs? How they, they regurgitate and chew the cud? It's, that, it's a picture of meditation and they swallow it down to the next stomach. And then they regurgitate it up again and chew the cud again. And then they, it's like how cows meditate, right? It's the same as us. We bring it up. And we think about it again, right? We, 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 we remember what we were sitting there reading that morning. And we think about it again. And then we, we get busy with something else. We swallow it back down. But then we need to regurgitate it again, and right? And... Another word for that is like to muse on something, right? To muse. To become absorbed in thought, Merriam-Webster, by the way, especially to think about something carefully and thoroughly, to muse upon something. What's our world saturated with, though? Amusement, amuse. The antithesis of musing is to be amused, right? How much of your life is filled with amusement, right? Because we need to be musing. We need to be spending our time musing and chewing. Like I hit a season at the end of last year where I was struggling to be in the Word. And I was just busy and I was drained. It was the end of the year. So I was like, how can I just get the Word into me and then... I felt the Lord say, listen to some psalms when they're being sung. That's right, there's that Aussie band, Sons of Korah, right? So, so I found out that they've got an app. Apparently, you can't just download their stuff. You have to get the app now. Anyway, so I got the app, and I was just thrashing the psalms, and I still am actually. A couple of them are just so good. And so I was just thrashing the psalms because I was like, I know that I need this word to just be to absorbing it, like we absorb water, right? Absorbing into my soul. So it's a practice. So there you go. There's a key. Get the Sons of Korah app and thrash it, you know? One of my favorite artists, he, he talks about heaven blazing in his head. I love that expression. I want heaven to be blazing in my head, right? The thoughts of God. That's what the word is, right? Colossians 3, 1 to 4 talks about the mindset. What is your mindset? It's important to set your mind at the start of your day because that will be the mindset with which you approach your day. It's, it's intentional. Gardening is intentional. If you don't water those trees, they will die. Something that you don't really want there will end up sprouting up. So, Colossians 3.3, 3, if then you have been raised with Christ, seed raising mix, the soil of your heart, right? We've been raised with him. That's what happened on the third day, right? When you were baptized into his death. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. That's what it looks like. At the right hand of God, set your mind on the things that are above, 
not on things that are on earth. That was, sorry, Colossians 3, but from verse 1 to 2. Okay, so the garden, the beautiful creation also requires the sun. It's quite an easy allegory to connect, isn't it? The sun and the sun, right? The sunlight, the light of the sun. So beholding is another really key thing to worship God, to behold him. Second Corinthians 3.18 talks about this idea of beholding. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So sunlight is critical. Um, I've had plants in my garden that I've tried to grow, and I thought, oh, this is a rainforest species. It should be able to grow pretty well even in the understory, but it, they just don't. What rainforest plants do is they just sit there almost dormant, waiting for another tree to fall over or die, and then light to appear. And then it will shoot for the gaps, shoot for the light. That's how they make their way through. So I found this one beautiful tree in the corner of my garden, and I looked up and I was like, this guy's never going to get up. There's too much stuff growing. So I literally cut a hole in the canopy so that at midday, this little guy would get a blast of sunlight. I didn't even cut that much down. I just made a hole in the canopy so it would definitely get sun at midday. And what did it do? It shot straight up through that gap, and it's thriving now, and it's getting to a nice thick tree. I'm like, yes. And I... I know, like, the trees in my garden, okay? I'm pretty intense about gardening. I love my garden. So, like, I'm like, you keep going, you know? Like, but it's, there's an intentionality there that's created that light that that thing needs to grow, right? And we have, we, why do we value worship? Because it's part of that beholding. Why do we set aside a month every, a week every month to just behold? Because we need to get good at this, Right? In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, it talks about the knowledge of God being in the face of Christ. We get to know who God is as we behold Christ. It's an intimacy paradigm. How are we doing? Um, so the, the idea of beholding, I had this psalm, no, not, no surprises there because I've been listening to them. Psalm 24 came to mind, right? And I'm thinking of this, this beholding, right? This, this going to a high place to be in the sun, right? And Psalm 24, 3 to 6 says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? That's a place of intimacy. That's a place of beholding the glory of God, right? Standing in his holy place. This is he. He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false, does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. 
we've got to seek his face, hey? We've got to behold him. We've got to behold him. Because we want maximum increase. We want to cultivate that optimal growth. So clean hands and pure hearts, we've got to clean up our act, right? Sin has to go because it will, the enemy will ride on sin to bring shame, guilt and condemnation and take you out of the presence of God. Can't give him a toehold or a foothold or any hold because he will hammer you with shame, guilt and condemnation. So he gives us some keys to be cleansed, right? 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We want to ascend the holy hill, folks. James 5, 16, another key. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Wow, what a beautiful picture of the vines growing together. Contending for each other, praying for one another, being vulnerable with each other, confessing their sins, being humble. Ephesians 5, 7 to 10, Paul exhorts them, Do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. We're in the light, right? We are worshipful creatures, right? The question isn't what is worship. The question is where is worship? So I heard this guy do this amazing talk of this um, this. He describes this paradigm where there's this huge temple and it's full of temples. And you can go in there and you can sort of peruse and you can choose your temple in there, which one suits you, which one's tailored to you, to you, right? And you go into that particular temple and there's a priest, right, at an altar. And you bring your offerings and he will give you your your gift, right? It's a picture of consumeristic, materialistic culture, right? For me, as soon as I heard that allegory, I was in Foot Locker at Casuarina, receiving. I bought my offering, $250, thank you very much. And he gave me my Nike Air Jordans, right? And I felt so satisfied for about three weeks before I trod in a muddy puddle, right, with my new trendy shoes because I was the coolest kid at school, right? Culture, this materialistic culture all around us is seeking to draw our attention and our worship. What is it? Where do you worship? What, what is worship? Like, we all worship. We're worshiping beings. It's happening. So there's a, something we need to think about, right?
So, John 14, verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. If you love me. But Brian Simmons translates that, and I love this little tweak. Brian Simmons in The Passion says, loving me empowers you to obey my commands. See how that little change of phrase just sort of sets it up a bit differently? Loving him. When you love him, right, these things become the empowering presence of God in our lives, right, our love for him. You know, and we say these types of things, like a lover will always outwork a worker. But when you love what you're doing, how engaged are you? How easy is it when you love what you're doing, right? It's so natural and seamless, isn't it? And so we've got this expression we use, a lover will always outwork a worker, but I just love that, that our love for Jesus will just, it creates these things, right? All right, so I'm nearly done. The last verse I have for you is from 2 Corinthians Chapter 3, verse 4 to 6. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Religion seeks to teach people to trust in their own ability to be good or to do the right thing, right? We are not religious, right? But we are seeking to position ourselves as, as his disciples to enable God to bring the increase, right? We're not depending on ourselves, right? We're not sufficient. We don't claim anything as having come from us. It's all about the fruit of that new creation life, right, that Christ accomplished for us. It's his story, and we get to, be, we get to participate, right? We're co-heirs, right? We get to co-create, that's what it means to be in a covenant with him, to come alongside and work together. So all the best with that. So I invite you to stand and I'm going to pray over us to close this meeting. Father, we thank you for the new creation life. 
that we have become part of, Lord. We thank you for your incomparably great power toward us, Lord. That we want to play our part, Lord. We want to be those disciples who are truly seeking to obey. angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street to the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads, at the forefront of their minds. And night will be no more, for they will need no light or lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Father, let it be so, Lord God, that the people of this house are those fruit trees of every kind, Lord God, that came about on the third day. The fruit trees of every kind, that you are different to me. And the person next to you, you have a different type of fruit. He has planned it so that every kind would be fruitful. So, Father, we pray that the people of God would be authentic disciples. We would be walking the way. We wouldn't just be talking the talk, but we'd be walking the walk, Lord. And we pray that with your help, we would cultivate the optimal conditions for Christ to be formed within us, Lord, that we would bear fruit unto God. And we thank you, Lord God, that we get to do this together, Lord. That there are many vines, all interwoven on the trellis. And that's us, Lord, and we thank you for your life source. We acknowledge, Lord God, that you are the source of all fruitfulness. We pray this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.